My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that I got a minute Again with your, Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, and it's like therapy, you know. If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. Yeah. So who are we talking about today, Matt? start looking at the media consumption i think the last time that i heard was that it was six six families six names own the media so so when you start looking at the media that you're watching it's all the same message over and over it's only a handful of companies that that actually control the the food processing unless you go and, and like buy stuff local or buy it from like farmers markets, things like that. But most of the food that you're gonna find in your in your down any aisle is typically gonna come from Monsanto. Huxley, his family had had very deep ties to the British government, and he had deep ties within the military or military complex in Britain at that time and I remember coming across there was a rumor that apparently I wouldn't say a rumor but apparently when somebody questioned him about the the idea of the book because this is a very far-fetched idea in 1940 and that anybody would come up with that he said that when he was in one of the government offices in Britain he just happened chance to come across a document that outlined how outlined how the world was going to change in the future and that just sort of blew my mind and that nobody ever questioned it beyond that yeah well here we are in the brave new world now and we're 36 years late of 1984 Tuning into today's show, I have my suspicions, but exactly what brought you here, I may never know. It may be boredom, curiosity, or even just mild lunacy. Whether your family thinks you're crazy or not, you may have realized by now, American culture is warped every which way but loose. Born and bred, GMO corn fed, raised on TV dinners, every day cheering on the winners plugged into the steady stream of obey, 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 droning airwaves juxtapose the sponsored 
delusory violence of Janus face narratives with pleasant displays of mundanity in its most modern form. Sponsored by Big Pharma. You grow up fast, idolize the young, the villains at the podium while the hero is unsung. Don't ask questions, just work, work, work to keep up with the Joneses. Well, that's all fine and dandy until you wake up like today's guest, Josh Bellamy, whose podcast, Illusionary Tales of Reality, is helping to dispel the haze that has been cast and reveal the dark, grisly gears that turn within the American machine. I'm your host, Mystic Mark, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning into the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Today's guest is the host of the Illusionary Tales of Reality podcast. His name is Josh Bellamy. He hit me up and said, hey, brother, I'd like to have you on the show. I said, you know what? Let's have you on my show or do a swap cast. So, Josh, how are you, man? I got to ask you, can you explain to us why you named your podcast that? And also tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, no doubt. And thank you for having me on, Mark. I've been been a lot or I want to say a long time fan of yours, but but definitely started listening to your podcast within the last six months now. So thank you. Definitely appreciate you having me on. So we'll start off as far as just the show itself, as far as the title. It was one of those things where I kept sort of going back and forth as far as what I wanted to to name it, but the more I sort of looked into it and the more I sort of looking at at our what we would con- our construct of reality. I sort of broke it down into a piece where sort of how I view reality to a certain extent, as far as just some of my background goes, and 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 obviously anybody that's listening to this or listening to any any of these shows is sort of you can see where our reality has sort of been warped to a certain extent, whether it's been from the media to what we see in school, basically everything around us sort of makes us oblivious to what reality truly is. Hence the illusion. It's that, that we have been giving this sort of false pretense to what we would consider a uh, reality in and of itself. So that's sort of how I came to the name of it. It's just something where I just sort of felt like reality was was fake to a certain extent, both sort of from a physical and a, I want to say spiritual side, but, but sort of that both sides to the coin. I, I lost my train of thought there. No, no, uh, I, I think those are all... Uh... Welcome ideas on the show, as you probably know. Thank you for listening as long as you have been. I'm glad you're sticking with us. And yeah, it's it's kind of become a, one of the central topics on the show. It's also become very popular, at least in the areas I'm looking in the past uh, year or so. You know, this idea that history and the timeline has not only errors, but purposeful reductions, you know. And why and all the different threads you can follow. Obviously, Tartaria comes to mind, but it's not just that. I mean, pretty much the whole nature of conspiracy 
is or a conspiracy theory uh rests on that kind of concept of like an event takes place and the official narrative is such and you know the people who were there say one thing the people who come along and look at all the evidence afterwards say another thing and oftentimes the official narrative doesn't match the other two sides of it and you know we find that the truth is often stranger than fiction right so i can imagine there's a lot of really cool threads you've followed already going down and looking through alternative history is there any particular point in in time where you like you can remember like you got that first seed of truth or or you let's say woke up i'd want to say it was probably back around 2007 2008 i was in my sophomore year of college and i ended up taking two classes one was intro to philosophy and then another was ethics for for professions at the time i had no idea that i had booked them with the same teacher my girlfriend at the time was like hey did you know this i'm like no i'm, I'm just gonna go with it but but it was sort of between those two classes like my the intro to philosophy class sort of got me looking more into sort of what we would consider reality from a philosophical standpoint. It definitely dived more into Eastern philosophy, Eastern religion, more so with, with Buddhism. And then my ethics for professions class sort of took me sort of down more of the conspiratorial side, side of itself with with learning about how, learning about the media, learning about all the nefarious things that have sort of happened behind the scenes over the years. But I know for myself, like I can remember going back as far as elementary schools in this school library, like finding books about, about Atlantis, about the Loch Ness Monster, Bigfoot, and just sort of being just, I want to say awakened, but, but, but very open to those ideas. And so when I came across some of these topics that I think for most people, when they hear them, um, they sort of get, get rattled to their core where they don't want to hear anything because it does sort of affect their reality and break them down that, that when I started hearing these things, they sort of, sort of fell into place as far as just making sense within the world. Right, right. You find out that there are so many things that just don't add up when you measure them into the official narrative, right? So things like Atlantis, things like the megalithic structures, most people, they come across them and they think, oh, that's strange, you know, and, you know, they never really dig too far into it. Did you experience this kind of thing that uh, past guest Loomis mentioned, the bullhorning phase where you're going around telling people, oh, have you seen this? And you just end up, you know, for the most part, turning people away. I, I could say I definitely had that moment. I would say so as well. Like when, when that time was around, I was in my early 20s. I think I, was, I had just turned 20, 21. And, and it was just one of these things where I was like, you know what? I have all this newfound knowledge. I want to tell everybody about it. And, and it was one of those things where not too many people were sort of 
take or I wouldn't say taken by it, but they were sort of caught off guard and very close minded about it. Like I remember at the job that I had, there was a couple people that I talked to about it that were very, very open about it. I know my girlfriend at the time sort of she she was very very Christian oriented as far as faith wise. And I know every time that we sort of talked anything that that went beyond what she had been taught through through Christianity, it sort of put her at odds with, with everything. But I know like one of the people that that probably welcomed it the most was probably my brother. And one of the odd things with it is that I remember like the whole 9-11 thing, like he was the one that introduced me into the alternative theories um, behind that, because I remember there was a day, I want to say this is like 2006-ish, 2007, early on, I think it may have been January 2007, right after the New Year's, me and my girlfriend came home from from eating dinner and my brother and my friend were sitting at my computer and they were like, Hey, I just found this new video that somebody offered or so somebody recommended that I watch. You want to come and watch it? And then three hours later, I'm sitting there. I'm like, I'm flabbergasted at at the evidence that supported a 9-11 being a potentially being an inside job. But it definitely, I have had that. I know for a year, I really didn't talk to a lot of people about some of the the things that, that I had come across just because you almost get this sense that that as I mentioned, when when you break away from somebody's narrative or their reality, they they just get very close minded and they just deny everything and they don't want to hear anything about it. So so for a while I didn't do that. And then just within maybe the last couple of years at one at one of at one of my last jobs that I had, I sort of felt some people that I wanted to say, say like fully open-minded. There were a couple of people, but they were definitely people that that entertained my ideas and didn't just like, oh, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about type of type of response. Right. Well, I'm right here with you, brother. Welcome to the family. Thank you for being here. And <laughs> I think we need more voices connecting with the listeners out there in the audio space. And I think you're doing a great job with your show, you know, illusionary tales of reality. I think a lot of people will warm up to that and realize like, yeah, you know, sooner or later, something may happen in their life that'll put them at odds with this narrative. I think it's just bound to happen because there's something, there's just something universal, maybe universal is the wrong word for it, but there's something about truth where, you know, people come to it at, you know, their own pace, you know, and, and I think that's a big um, lesson I've learned through this podcast with certain speakers, certain folks, you know, the person that comes to mind the most is David Wei, because he went to China and became a Buddhist monk. And, and I asked him, I'm like, you know, do you, you share this kind of monk wisdom with your, you know, with your family? And he's like, nah, man, they don't care. They, you know, they, they do... <laughs> They do their own thing, and, and if they see they like something I'm doing, they, they follow, but for the most part, I let them do their own thing. And, and I think we could use a lot of that here in the conspiracy world, and podcasting, for me, was a big way or a big outlet um, for that energy, you know, because just listening to shows all the time, I was just, you know, basically, I was magnetizing the people who were already into it, but like 
repelling the people who were who were very much on the edge of it and i lost a lot of friends because of it and ever since i got into this podcasting space on this side of things where i host my own show i've made a bunch of new friends so you know there's certain echo chamber that's formed but then again i'm not really a flat earther i like all of the ideas in the flat earth realm but still you know have plenty of friends that are on that side of things and and i myself am not quite there you know people can can make up their own mind but you've definitely put out a bunch of interesting diverse topics one of the first ones that i'm noticing here that's coming up for me is is brave new world right you you talked about yes. how this this book by george orwell you know curiously i forget if it was loomis or somebody because i've had a couple interviews that i did in this past week but they talked about how that movie's really kind of unwatchable, the movie 1984. But what are your thoughts on the book and, and how it relates to the times we're living in now? Yeah, and this is actually a very interesting uh, topic here because I actually was talking a little bit about this with with my last guest on my show. And, and, and it's a very interesting. I, I would say we're sort of in, in an in-between area between Orwell's 1984 and Audelis Huxley's Brave New World. Brave New World, I've I've done a little bit more diving into versus 1984 in and of itself. But but it but for me, it's it's very coincidentally that that both of these books were written back in the 40s. Uh, and, and sort of just mirrored off as, as science fiction books. But throughout the years, and from some of the research that I've come across, like both of these books were uh, not necessarily required a reading, but they were recommended reading for a very long time. They still tend to do very well in sales throughout the year. But, but with both of those books, it's, they're set up very, like I said, very coincidentally to what we have now. So like with 1984, and you sort of look at at Big Brother, people stand are sitting in front of TVs all day, having them having their devices monitoring them and things of that nature. You have the security state, which is sort of when when you look at it now, it's not a full on complete militant state is what we're living in, but it, but it's a very soft version of that. And you can see with people now one and it's been around for years and i think is actually i think the first time i came across this was maybe about 10 years ago i think it may have been pelosi when she introduced the i can't remember what what it's called off the top of my head i'm drawing a blank but basically calling out your neighbors for her for doing things that 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 were technically illegal or goes against what they were saying and obviously there's been a big push of that here in the last two years with everything that's going on. Obviously, when you, when we're talking about people just sitting down in front of their TVs, that you can see that happening all the time. Nowadays, where most people don't go out as much as they used to, they'd rather sit in, pop on Netflix, and binge watch a show and not do anything productive. I, I will admit that, that I do that sometimes as well with certain shows, but it's also, I, I sort of ha know that that feeling to get up and walk away but but when we sort of start looking into that that nanny state and um, sort of what's mentioned in 1984 where you had your technology 
spying on you and recording your information. There's been documents and reports that have come out throughout the years that talked about that, obviously, um, most people would have thought this was crazy 10 years ago to think that that your phone was spying on you. But if anybody knows anything now, you can literally, literally sit there, mention something, and then your phone will have ads for it popping up in your Facebook feed um, almost instantaneously once you start mentioning that. But beyond that, and you start looking at, at the smart TVs that are out there that reportedly have cameras built into them. I know I was watching a YouTube video, I think it was a couple of years ago, where I, I don't remember the timing. It's within the last five years where it was during the March Madness for NCAA and ESPN, ESPN was showcasing this new technology that a Samsung TV had where they were touting it as, hey, we can look inside people's living rooms to see what their reactions are to the game. And when they flipped to the scene, like the people sitting there had no idea that they were being recorded on it. And you could even go go back a little bit further where I know... This was in one of the classes that I had where I had a, a fellow um, student of mine or classmate, whatever you want to call him, was sitting there talking about how he had worked for Comcast back in the early 2000s. And one of his coworkers who had been working for Comcast since the early 90s was talking about the cable boxes having microphones and cameras in them. And the person said he didn't really know anything about it, but but the but the really weird thing about this and sort of I know you've mentioned about the synchronicity on, on your show multiple times is that I remember I think it was like a day or two after that I was on rinse.com and there was an article that popped up where uh, somebody was alleging about these devices in the boxes and then literally the next day after that the CEO or public relations person, somebody high up in the Comcast side of things came out and admitted that they did put them in there. And the reason why they put them in there was to monitor people's reactions to commercials to see what what works and what doesn't and relay back relay that back to the to the advertisers, which I was like, that that just blows my mind that that you literally sit there, you admit you're doing this. I and mean, obviously that sort of draws to light with with the technology where where you sort of wonder whether or not they're using it for good good purposes or bad intentions and obviously i think any of your listeners will know is that most people that are typically operating behind these scenes are are going to use them on for 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 nefarious purposes a lot of times but that's sort of some of the correlations that I've drawn from 1984. And then if we sort of flip over to um, Autolus Huxley's book, uh, Brave New World, where he sort of talks about this segregated world where you have people living in centralized cities, taking a pharmaceutical, which basically acts as an antidepressant to basically keep everybody keep everybody's mood up and elevated so they don't have time to think. Reproduction is gone way of, of cloning. From the time that you're born, you have kids that are put in these education camps where basically they're sort of just force-fed ideology um, about how society works within this city. And it sort of 
revolves around, I don't want to say revolves, but but then you sort of look at the other segregation portion, as I mentioned, where anybody on the outside is viewed as as a savage, but they are more more akin to living prior to the big city. And and when you start drawing those comparisons, you start looking at at the drug dependency, especially when it comes to antidepressants, antipsychotics, that number is astronomical. I know when I was researching for that episode, I could not actually find the statistic on the number of people that were on an antidepressant. But I remember back in 2008, I think it was 33% of the US was on some type of drug. But when we start looking at society as a whole from that standpoint, we start looking at the segregation that's happening and um, that's been happening over the last couple of years. You're starting to see it more now between vaxxed and you're starting to see the decentralization of the family more so. Obviously, that's been something that's been in the making probably for the last 40 to 50 years. Going back now, reproduction rates are slowly declining where less and less people are wanting to have children. And hence the reason why cloning is something that a lot of people are are looking at into as far as what the future holds for us. And that's sort of, for me, is sort of where where I started sort of noticing these correlations um, between the two. And like I said, this goes back about 10 years is when I started noticing these things. And it's just slowly over time between the two of them. And I think it's just a mixture between the two books. And and I don't know too much about Orwell's past, but I definitely know with Otis Huxley, his family had had very deep ties to the British government, and he had deep ties within the military or military complex right. in Britain at that time. And I remember coming across there was a rumor that, that apparently I wouldn't say a rumor, but apparently when somebody questioned him about the the idea of the book because this is a very far-fetched idea in 1940 and that anybody would come up with that he said that when he was in one of the government offices in britain he just happened chance come across a document that outlined how outlined how the world was going to change in the future and that just sort of blew my mind and that nobody ever questioned it beyond that yeah. Well, here we are in the brave new world now, and we're 36 years late of 1984. But yeah, it's definitely prophetic. I mean, and you're absolutely right about Aldous Huxley having connections. From my research, uh, I found that he was the son or grandson of one of the founders of the Rhodes Roundtable Group. For those who aren't familiar with Rhodes, Cecil Rhodes famously named an African colony after himself, Rhodesia, which is now Botswana. But yeah, these people are definitely not good people in the sense that they're ruthless and conquest, you know, and their whole Fabian society, which... Orwell eventually, allegedly, was a part of, and I have some information here to to add to that, but and I'm reading off of uh, modernhistoryproject.org, folks. Go and uh, check it out yourself. But Huxley was definitely involved with this opium war going on in Britain, and we know certain secret societies like Skull and Bones in Yale are very connected to the whole drug trade, so... Yeah, it's the bill for sure. And, you know, on the point of George Orwell, it's said that 
when he was in school, he kind of felt very isolated and kind of like not really fitting in with the wealthy and kind of elitist types that he was in school with. And Huxley was his French teacher uh, while at Eton University. And he also went to Oxford. I don't know if those are like schools within Oxford or if those are separate colleges, but either way, Orwell definitely has connections to Huxley and maybe even this Fabian Society, which uses the wolf in sheep's clothing as their logo. So, I mean, people can read into that, but the Fabian Society has been claimed to be a global fascist society with a global fascist agenda and was the controlling force behind the creation of the Labour Party in Britain. So, so yeah, that is definitely, I, I did not know the, the connection between Orwell and Huxley. That is the first, it doesn't surprise me that, that they knew each other uh, with that or that he was his teacher. That, that is a very fascinating um, well, discovery and also you know his his connection to the whole psychedelic revolution people talk a lot about the united states but you know the beatles were a big part of that whole movement and a lot of other british rock groups were a part of that movement so yeah aldis aldis huxley was definitely a culture creator and i think it was for worse not better but yeah i think that's you know a whole series of of rabbit holes in and of themselves. Another big one that I know you covered on episode four of your podcast was one that I covered sort of briefly with my childhood friend on our first episode here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, JFK, the original conspiracy theory. I like that you titled it that way. I titled it The First Brick in the Road because it quite literally is the root for the whole term conspiracy theorist, right? So I don't know yeah. if, if they, if anyone had been using that term outside of that context or within that concept context up until that time. But what are your thoughts on JFK? There's a lot of theories out there. I've heard some wild ones. Maybe we can go theory for theory. What, what's your, what's your thoughts? What'd you come to in that episode? Yeah. So for me, I sort of looked at, and this is something like, obviously everybody hears about like the, the magic bullet or the, the magic bullet, if that's the term that I'm thinking of multiple shooters, I was looking more sort of at it, why he was killed than, than anything. Um, because I think at the end of the day, like there, the information that we've been given, it's really hard to put a, like a definitive like, who is the shooter? Where did the bullet come from? But I know for me, the, the thing that I found interesting when I was sort of looking into JFK, and this goes back years, years ago when I first heard about this information, was I can't remember the exact executive order number, but I know months prior to his, his assassination, he had signed an executive order that in all intents and purposes, would have destroyed the American banking system as a whole, um, where basically he laid it out to where the, the, or the American government, and I think it may have been all, all branches, including military, could not get any money from the Federal Reserve, and then vice versa, the Federal Reserve could not loan any money to to the government which obviously with most people 
Federal Reserve just creates money out of nowhere. And, and besides our tax dollars, you sort of got to wonder how they're getting this money in the first place. So that was one of the things that, that I sort of um, talked about in that episode and, and sort of ventured down that, that rabbit hole a little bit with it. The other thing um, is that I know, I can't remember the exact date, and I know it was, a, was quite a bit before his assassination, where one of his speeches, and I think it may have been one of the State of the Unions, if memory serves me correct, where he openly calls out secret societies in and of its in and of its whole, and basically sort of right. puts a target on their back. And I think for a lot of people at that time, would have just sort of called it as the as the infiltrators from from communist Russia coming here. But I think it was a little bit more involved with that because because if you follow sort of you don't have to follow a whole lot with jfk's family lineage you can literally just go back to his father and the majority of the money that that the kennedy family had came from from bootlegging and it wouldn't surprise me that through that um, you get into that sort of seedy underbelly of bootlegging. You get involved with the mob and other Ill illicit factions where there's probably a very good chance that, that you're going to run into potentially some of these uh, secret societies that that he was sort of mentioning. Now, obviously, he just can't sit there and call them out for what they are, call them by name. But I think it was a combination between the two of the, those things is that I think, one, he had put a put a target on their back. And then when he went to go do the executive order with, with essentially like, it, like I mentioned, would have just destroyed the, the banking system here in the U S they, they wanted to get him out of office as soon as possible. And, and if you follow history and in, in, in any bit, most leaders, especially when it comes to regime changes that, that we've sort of seen with the U.S. and probably throughout history, is that anybody that sort of opposes a, a central banking system or a one-world banking system, they sort of get, you get put in the bullseye themselves. Uh, and that was, for me, so sort of what I drew from that was that he... He was trying to cripple an industry that that the people behind everything didn't want him to do so, and that's sort of sort of what led me down that episode. Like I like I mentioned, it was more so talking about the reasons behind it, and obvious for me, I, I think that that the CIA was heavily involved in the assassination to the point where. Every time that any type of information has been released, it's always been heavily redacted. Or when a president does say they're going to release it, they just keep pushing back. Like I know Trump released some stuff, if memory serves me correct, but but just about everything in the document was redacted. And then Biden said he was going to release information. And then I think he pushed it out like five or 10 years. And it just keeps getting pushed down the road. And for me, the only logical conclusion is that with stuff being redacted that much, it, it would imply that the CIA was involved. Um, and obviously there's probably more behind it, but, but I think if the populace knew that the CIA and other factions of the government killed a sitting president, the entire system uh, would collapse.
Right. Well, you know, I think that's, that's definitely a part of it. I don't know if the entire system would collapse according to this one theorist that I subscribe to, James Shelby Downard. He makes the conclusion that, you know, the Freemasons, which are in every town, in every state, right, were very much a part of that whole ritual, which he calls the King Kill ritual. And uh, yeah, no, I do agree with with what you're you're saying and where you're going with that. I just think that, you know, there's definitely that occult element to it as well. And the fact that Oswald has the name Oz, Wald Oz is a Hebrew term, has to do with strength among some other things. As most of these Kabbalistic things go, they have multiple meanings. But yeah, it was pretty obvious that you know, some of the occult significance, you know, the 33rd degree of latitude was where this all took place. There were three people arrested, very similar to the story of Hiram Abiff, who was killed by three robbers. And there's so much, so much more, but I appreciate the level of detail that you take with it. And a lot of that stuff that you mentioned, I'd heard before, but there was a few things there that I hadn't. So I definitely encourage people go and check out that episode as well as the many others that you have already. I mean, another topic that you've touched on that I'm very interested in is Tupac Shakur. Underground hip hop was a big part of not only understanding, I mean, conspiracies themselves, but certain occult and esoteric themes that were also talked about by certain rappers sort of furnished a lot of the details uh, of this growing interest. When did you, you know, hear or first hear that there might be something to look into about Tupac? Are you a, a hip hop fan from a young age? Did you just recently get into it because of the conspiracy angle? What's what's the story behind that? No, so so I've been a big hip hop fan really since I since I was a teenager. Like Tupac was probably. Like when I really started listening to music and listening to hip hop, he was the first really big artist that I got really heavily involved with. And I can't remember if it was a friend of mine that introduced me to it or something else. I can't remember what it was, but it was something that that I came across. I mean, this is early 2000s, so, so still shortly after his death, obviously, I think theories started rising up <laughs> days, if not months after his death. And, and for me, it was one of those things where I came across and I was reading it and I was just really fascinated by sort of the, the theory behind him faking his death, why he may have faked his and even just a lot of really weird coincidences that sort of happened within his life, like the number seven pops up quite a bit throughout the later part of his career, not only in his, his music, his obviously his last true album that he did, the Machiavelli Seven Day Theory, obviously have it there. He died at the age of 25, so two plus five equals seven. He died seven days after he was allegedly shot. And even when you get into like some of his movies, I think it was gang related, if memory serves me correct, where he plays a detective and his badge number adds up to seven. And it was just really a lot of these weird coincidences. And then I started listening to some of his interviews and 
and Tupac, from from what I could tell, he he was from an intelligence level, he he was way beyond what what you would even consider him to be, especially with the way that the media sort of portrayed him as sort of that that very thug rapper that 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 had no no discern for for anybody. But when you started listening to stories about him and and the list goes on as far as 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 how he was viewed, it, it definitely sparked my interest. And then there was a time and I and I tried to find the interview he did and and I couldn't find it. It was something that I found on YouTube back about 10 years ago where when he went into prison when when he was convicted of 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 the assault that that he had met some people in there that were talking about the freemasons and talking about how the freemasons sort of ruled the world and I, and I was hearing this and I'm like this is this is a very very interesting topic and and obviously for me, like if you start looking at his life and his music, like like he was the type of person where where he sort of reminds you of of MLK's to a certain extent, where where he could spark a movement, spark a revolution with with just his words. He was very passionate, very charismatic. And you can see that like going back to when he first got really big in the hip hop industry in the early 90s, where what a lot of people don't realize is that there was for a couple of years where there were ceasefires between the the Blood and Crip gangs, at least while he was in town doing his concerts. And he had like this entire, I can't remember the the name of it off the top of my head, but basically, if you want to call them commandments to a certain extent, where when they would be at his shows, like they had to abide by these commandments per se. And it sort of started to go beyond just his concerts and sort of, you started to see more of that sort of impacting the streets. And with anybody that that sort of has that impact. And like I said, it wasn't just here in the US. Like, like he like like he was something that, that that he spoke to everybody across the world and he's and is and he's still popular. His music still resonates to today. Where well, when I started to look at it, I think that that he sort of knew that that he had a target um, on his back with how he was talking and the way that he was able to bring people together. So, so I tend to err on the side of where he faked his own death, just because one of the books that, that I know I personally, I haven't read, it's definitely on my, on my to read list was The Prince by uh, Niccolo Machiavelli, which obviously anybody that's familiar with Niccolo Machiavelli is, is he was a, brilliant strategist and in the print specifically it talks about how to trying to think of the wording but sort of get an advantage over your opponent is by faking your death and i know that was one of the books and i think for anybody that sort of had the means and had the and had the capabilities of doing that i think that that he honestly could have done that um has faked his death but i also 
do err on the side of caution that that he may have been taken out by other means to sort of limit his ability to get people to come together. Right. Yeah, and I mean the the organizing roots go deep for Tupac. His father and mother were political activists and were part of the Black Panther Party, which, you know, definitely had some Marxist, communist type of flavor to it. But in light of the, you know, oppression and impoverished communities, I don't, you know, I don't blame them. I think that, you know, I don't agree with that political ideology in general, but I definitely understand why there's a kind of push for that from their perspective. Whether or not that was weaponized to be a sort of, you know, get everybody in this kind of uh, dead-end road situation, I don't know. That's outside of my level of research right now, but you definitely make uh, a very interesting point and a good case for it. I hadn't looked too far into how or when or how he could have faked his own death, but, you know, it seems like the pervasiveness of that type of violence in uh, that, you know, music industry, it just seems like, you know, a little bit, you know, a part of it now, but I wonder back then if that was a new thing or not, you know, cause this all happened way before I was born. I mean, right. When did he die? Let's see. 2000 and 96. Okay. 96. So yeah, I was only two years old when he passed away. But one other thing that stood out to me is the name of his debut album, Tupacalypse Now. The movie Apocalypse Now is definitely full of interesting, very real, very sobering moments. And really, you know, I mean, it's a brutal movie. I don't know if you've seen it. I definitely recommend people check it out. But I remember watching it when I was a teenager and thinking like, oh, geez, this, you know, war sucks, right? So it, it is, it kind of goes in line with that Black Panther Party movement in general, because they were very anti-war at the time too. A lot of, you know, people from poor communities were being shipped off to the armed forces and, you know, dying and getting addicted to drugs in, in Vietnam. So yeah, the the connections are pretty clear i just wonder where he would have gone what you know is he just like hiding within the within the like some hood somewhere like with his friends who knows yeah so that's the thing like like most people so so when i remember when i first came across this i can't remember i want to say it was it was one of his uncles or at least somebody that, that, that he would consider family, not by blood. I guess during the Black Panthers, when they were getting rounded up, I don't know if it was before or after trials, but apparently um, one of them or some of them had fled down to Cuba. So I know there's been like rumors um, about that, him flaunting around down in, in Cuba. I know from the years, like people have like taken photos, especially at, I haven't seen like anything recently, but I know when he was with his group, the outlaws, like people would sometimes like see, um, see him within them and take pictures. But it's one of those things where it's, it's tough to say where he would be at. I think now 
I don't know if he would, if, if he did fake his death, I don't know if he would ever come back. I know a lot of people were talking about, I think it was, I'm trying to remember the timetable because there's a certain amount of time, like after you fake your death, where you can be indicted upon that crime. I think it may have been 13 years. I think it was right, right around like 2008, 2005. I can't remember the time, but there were reports that, that if he wasn't dead, he was going to come back. But, but I know I had one of my friends, his older brother was a huge Tupac fan. And I remember this was probably a good 15 years ago now at this point where we were sitting there walking one day. This was, we were walking a blockbuster when that was still around. And, and he was sitting there telling me that, that his mom could have swore that, that she saw Tupac in a random bar one night um, that, that she went to, to, to grab a drink. And like, he was in there t telling me that, that, that she literally honestly believed it was him. And it wasn't something where like, she like, could have like did a double take. It was like, ah, maybe you look, maybe not. But she said like, like it literally looked like him. If he was older sitting there in the bar, they had like a small conversation. He got up, walked away. And then like, she went to go see him and did not see where he disappeared to, but, but it was just, that was just a crazy story that my friend was telling me about his mom and, and Tupac girls like that is, that is very fascinating if it is real. Right. Uh, wow. I wonder if there's some sort of hip hop breakaway civilization that, you know, it's just like, you know, when you get to a certain level of fame and fortune, you have access to it, but it's, it's, yeah. Wow. That's, that's interesting. I'm just Bring that up in light of a lot of things I've been reading about lately about breakaway civilizations. I wonder, have you come across that in your research? Do you plan on looking into that at all? Breakaway civilizations and, and the concept of uh, secret societies that operate outside of our mainstream culture? So I haven't heard of the, the breakaway um, societies. That's actually the, the first time that I've heard of that. As far as secret societies, like... Like that is something that, that I definitely, I, I don't even believe it's not even speculated at this point. Like I think secret society sort of open out of the open uh, at this point with everything. And then we talked about the Masons, like obviously they, they're, they're in full front of everything. I know where I live at, I think I can go within like a five miles road and I come across two lodges and then obviously you have the skull and crossbones as well. But, but if you want to mind, if you want to talk about a little bit about the breakaway societies, since I had, that's something that I've actually not come across. Well, a lot of people mention it when they talk about the Nazis and how they were able to, you know, escape outside of Europe after the war. And then some people talk about like a past guest we had on the show, Chaz of the dead about breakaway civilizations existing in sort of remote, semi-remote places and people who have these sort of random encounters with them note odd things about these people who seem to be very well established in an area that's very remote. You know, things like having a, a large source of, of platinum to use to barter and, and big stacks of cash, you know, I don't want to retell the story completely because it is Chaz's story to tell, but yeah, there's definitely a lot of examples of breakaway civilizations. The other author that I've been reading who talks about this concept is, uh, Walter Bosley. 
and he co-authored a book with the past guests who we've had on the show, Richard Spence, and uh, their book touches on some of these breakaway civilizations, although I'm only a couple hundred pages into the book, so I haven't gotten to the breakaway civilization <laughs> part, but definitely check out Walter Bosley for your own sake. I know the listeners have heard me mention him a bunch, but you had friend of the show Charlie Robinson on the podcast. I think he coined, if he didn't coin it, he definitely popularized the term, you know, this octopus of global control, the tentacles that have far-reaching implications into all of the different angles of our society. And as you put, yeah, it's often secret societies that are at the front of a lot of these conspiracies and they're semi-public about it. But are there any maybe obscure secret societies that you've come across in your research or even in some of your podcasts? So nothing as of yet. I haven't delved too much into the, into the secret societies just yet. I think that'll definitely be something that, that I will touch upon um, somewhere down the road. I wouldn't necessarily say that I've come across in the research that I've done, like anything that that's like completely out of like out of the norm where would most people sort of hear of like obviously i've come across the masons which i sort of go back and forth between whether or not they're good or bad to a certain extent but i've, I've come across i think that's something that i was listening to on another podcast a couple of weeks ago which i try i I tried to dig into it i really couldn't find anything about it but they were talking about the merovingian dynasty and, right. and, and talking about like the royal bloodlines. I mean, I know that's something that that I talked a little bit about when I had uh, Charlie on the episode and and I've heard other people talk about it, but it's a very like interesting concept, like with the royal bloodlines is something that that I don't know if anybody has truly sort of taken the people in power because obviously, I mean, we'd sort of look at at the kingdom or queendom that's in in england with the with the queen where their bloodline is is very pristine if you want to call it that they don't like to they, they sort of choose who to bring into the family and and it was one of the things that i sort of just recently sort of thought about when, when i because i've heard of royal bloodlines in the past but it wasn't something that i sort of started to really think about is that I want to almost go out on this is just more of a theory of my of my own where or I wouldn't be surprised that that if somebody starts looking into this and starts piecing all these things together that the bloodlines probably date back to 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 the Sumerian times with the with the Anunnaki and obviously I know there's people that have talked about I think it's the blue bloods that are out there that are supposedly linked very far back but but it's one of those things where where I just started thinking about myself here in recent months, maybe last year or so of where potentially these, these bloodlines sort of started and, and why it's always continuously, it's the same people, same family in control all the time. Like they don't want to give up the wealth. And it's something that I sort of started drawing a, a correlation between, like I said, between that and, and the Anunnaki as far as sort of, how the Anunnaki viewed civilization and more or less, I think it's in Lille, if, if, if that's the person I'm 
the God that I'm thinking of that sort of viewed humanity as just a slave labor and that was it. And it's sort of eerily similar to how these people in power view us today as sort of just that, that slave labor. Not obviously we're not mining for gold anymore like that, but we are a resource to them and, and a, an expendable resource at that. But, but that's sort of something that I've started to try to get a little bit more involved in. But but outside of that, the secret societies, I really haven't come across any that that like truly like people aren't aware of. Right. Well, I think you're raising a lot of good points and uh, questions as well. And I think, you know, you probably touched on some of this stuff that you just mentioned, maybe when you were looking into the Luciferian conspiracy, because I know a lot of people, you know, point to ancient times, biblical times and say, here is the answer. This is why we're dealing with what we're dealing with. And to what you just said, it kind of fits within that logic. I often think it doesn't go far, you know, as simple as, as, you know, Lucifer is in fact, you know, in control of all these bloodlines, but it may be that there's some sort of, let's say, alien element to their blood that was left over in these ancient times when this missing link that even, you know, mainstream scientists talk about this sort of genetic sort of anomaly in our DNA. I often think that's the maybe the proof for this sort of story of Enlil and Enki manipulating and 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 creating us as human beings where does Lucifer come into that picture because I, I think a lot of people just point the finger at this Lucifer entity and it becomes like an umbrella term I don't want to say that it's there's no truth there I definitely think there is especially when you get a little, you know, more in recent times with certain people who call themselves Luciferians, but, you know, as far as, you know, ancient times, how far back did you find the whole Luciferian conspiracy goes? Or or maybe I'm off. Can you give us a, a breakdown on on the Luciferian conspiracy? Yeah. So for me, the, the the one thing that I sort of when I was doing that one, and this was something that 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 I'm <laughs> that I'm not trying to sound like like it came out of nowhere. But I remember like it was a it was really two things. I remember like the name Lucifer, I was playing a game. It was alone in the dark back on Xbox 360. And I remember in that game, they, they were talking about, cause it was, essentially it was the, the evil taking over the world. But, but I remember like one of the people in the game mentioned what the name Lucifer meant as being light bringer. And I remember like, I decided to do a little bit of research on that. And I just thought it was, a really interesting term that you would sort of use for the person that that you would be considering as as evil as a light bringer because I don't think of of that being evil to a certain extent. But then I remember like watching an episode of Ancient Aliens years ago, where I can't remember who it was on the show, but one of them were mentioning a little bit about it, and they were sort of talking about how potentially the Bible got things sort of misconstrued. And this is sort of when we were talking earlier about, about history potentially being rewritten, where, where I sort of started thinking about, about the Bible, thinking about 
the the concept of, of what we would consider Lucifer, and this is beyond like the like how people call themselves Luciferians, the religion. It's just it was really more focusing on whether or not the Bible in and of itself has the heroes and the villains sort of backwards and to a certain extent. And it was more, I started looking at, at things and sort of piecing things together. So obviously, yeah, the name Lucifer meaning light bringer, obviously a lot of people used to call him the morning star, which is in reference to the sun. Now I know I haven't delved really big into it just because it's a topic that I that it's very hard to find anything about is, is Saturn worshiping, where I do know that that some of the Luciferian religion so, sort of draws from that connotation as far as the Saturn worship goes. But then I started looking at some of the other things and I started looking at it from, from an idea of, of when you start looking at what happened in the Garden of, of, of Eden. Now, granted, they put it as him sort of tempting humanity with knowledge because God said, you can't eat this apple, but Lucifer, the devil who was a snake in it of that time was like, here, take the apple, which I don't see why having knowledge would be, would be a bad thing in and of it, of itself. But, but I sort of looked at that. I looked at, at the symbolism of the snake, which really up into that point, like snakes really weren't viewed as a evil entity. Like if you look at the I'm trying to the the symbol that we have for like pharmacies are on the cards. It's a, it's a snake wrapped around the staff of Hermes, if memory serves, which obviously that's an embodiment of health. And even when you start digging deeper, when the when you look at reptiles and more so the dragon aspect, when you look into a lot of the Eastern religions and Eastern philosophies. A lot of those viewed dragons as, as benevolent, knowledgeable creatures, if, if they did exist at one point, that, that that's what they were there to do was to enlighten people. And then I started making the connections back to, to the Anunnaki with, with Enlil and, and Inki, where it seemed it was very a very similar story where one wanted us to to just go along with everything. And the other was like, hey, I want you to have this knowledge. I want you to be in control and have an absolute freedom. And I sort of thought about it from that perspective where more so where, where I think history was rewritten to, to change around sort of who people are worshiping. And, and it's sort of even makes sense to a little little degree even while I'm sitting here is is if you do have sort of a a society behind everything that's wanting you to to pray or I'm trying to think of the word in my head and I cannot think of it off the top of my head. Oh, you want to put your energy into this religion. And obviously with with most people that, that are probably aware is that when you when you have thoughts or feelings that go into something, it can definitely manifest and change reality where what would be a better way of doing that is to tell people, hey, the person that, that we're considering to be, be the bad guy 
is not really the bad guy, but we want you to pray to the person that's behind all of our doings. And so we're just going to flip the script around. And because even when you sort of look through the Bible, like there's, there's a very distinct change in, in what we would call God, like God goes from being this very benevolent being to then being very wrathful and vengeful. And it just sort of made me think about just whether or not we sort of had it wrong as far as the people within these order within these religions, if they're actually praying to the right person. Right. Right. This sort of, you know, incentive carrot on a stick type of, you know, you do what we say, you follow our, our lead and, and we won't go to war and, and burn down your village anymore, you know, and everybody yeah. kind of adopted the, you know, the new pattern, but the same old archetype. Right. So, but it's interesting. You brought up the connection to Saturn because I'd always heard Lucifer as the morning star being connected to Venus. And I looked a little further and there is information that says that some people regard, and this is specifically uh Fraternas Saturni, they refer Lucifer as the higher octave of Saturn and then Satan representing its lower octave. So I don't know how far that goes, but it's all another interesting note is that Luciferianism was a sect of Christianity in the, I think, fourth century. So, you know, it's very possible that there are certain churches in the United States who might call themselves, you know, one thing, you know, like, oh, we're the church of the saint of such and such, you know, but maybe they're practicing some kind of Luciferianism, go, you know, and, and I don't, you know, that might have uh, negative implications. There are some authors, I think Milton Blake, famously painted, or I'm sorry, John Milton famously painted, you know, this kind of Satan, Lucifer, and even Prometheus kind of imagery into one character. And, you know, where I kind of go with it is that there's a lot of exaggeration when it comes to this whole subject and a lot of fear mongering. I don't particularly think that there is an entity operating in an of itself, you know, that goes by this name within our physical realm, but there might be people who channel an entity like that and they pretty much, you know, act that will into our world. You know, it's, it's kind of like a psychic connection with these maybe egregores of ideas that have been, you know, accumulated over time. No, yeah, no doubt. And that's one of the things, because I know, I, I, I think the, I, I want to say I've only come across two people that have truly sort of gone down the, that rabbit hole as far as alluding to like the, the Saturn concept and the worshiping of like inter, of an interdimensional being associated with that. I know David Icke is probably like one of the leading people that's talked about it. But even then, like I've tried to find like some of his work without ordering all of his books to, to dive into everything. But, but it's, but it's one of those things where even like when I was looking at some of the stuff, like the, the imagery of Saturn 
is all there. It sort of reminds me of, of, of tulpas to a certain extent, which I don't know if you're familiar with those. Right. And, but it's almost like these thought beans or thought, yeah. Yeah, we'll just say thought beans is the best way to put it. And, and as I mentioned, and, and from the research that I've done is, is your mind, your consciousness is a very, very powerful tool. And there's been research that has supported that, especially I, like when people have these like mass events where they sit there and they pray for people to get well, even if they're thousands of miles away, like, like energy changes the stuff around you. And, and it's, like I said, it wouldn't surprise me where, where they're trying to channel or funnel all of this energy into their entity or whoever they want it to be at that, at this particular time. Right, right, right. Yeah. Researcher that I follow, Christopher Knowles, talks about uh, space being sort of the altar. So the planets and the constellations all, you know, take on this symbolic role in our actual real world as the, you know, procession of the heavens goes on, you know, the different various bodies move about in the way that they do in the, the cycle that they follow. But there's two pretty, I think, big philosophical questions that you started your podcast off with, maybe without giving too much away, because we do want people to go and listen to the show. What are your thoughts on the illusion of choice? You know, because I, I think I'm probably in agreement with you that, you know, most of us feel like we have some sort of choice and, and ability in this world, but you come to find that there are gatekeepers or there are sort of barriers at every, you know, at every turn, taxes, you know, all these other things that seem to be set up at our behest. Yeah. So, so for me, I, with, with everything that I sort of look at, especially when we get into topics like this, or even in, in sort of like the paranormal topics, I try to sort of look at things from, from both a metaphysical perspective and then also just a grounded in reality, what, what we would consider the physical reality. So, so for me, I, 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 I would love to sit here and say, say a hundred percent. We, we have, we have freedom of choice, but, but it, but I honestly, I don't believe we do because when we start looking at, at the things that, that, that we consume now, I think to a certain extent we do, if we turn everything off, but but when we start looking at at the at the food we consume, I know I mentioned this in the episode, where it's only a handful of companies that that actually control the the food processing, unless you go and, and like buy stuff local or buy it from like farmers markets, things like that. But most of the food that you're gonna find in your in your down any aisle is typically gonna come from Monsanto, which if anybody who does research into them knows that that they are not into good things when it comes to our food um, in and of itself. We start looking at, at the media consumption. I think the last time that I heard was that it was six, six families, six names own the media. So, so when you start looking at the media that you're watching, it's all the same message over and over. Maybe they tweak something up a little bit, but, but it's the, but it's the same thing over and over again. And so so from that sort of standpoint, in the physical realm, unless we sort of break away from those things, we truly don't have a choice because 
because you look at it from well, it's just you use the food as an example, and this is something that I that I mentioned in the in the in the episode is that you you go down your cereal aisle, you have your your name brand cereal, and then you have your off brand. So to anybody without suspecting anything, they would look at them and and, and think, oh, two different companies, two different things. But when you start going back up the tree and seeing where that off-brand sort of came from, you sort of realize that it comes from the same company. And so, so you see, so you may be presented with two options, but in all honesty, you're not because it's one person at the top giving you those, but it's the same product just with a different name on it. Right. So, so that's the one aspect that I sort of look at at, at a freedom of choice. The other aspect is sort of the the metaphysical aspect. And this is something that that for me it still gets takes me for a loop and, and it's hard to to wrap wrap your wrap my head around it at times. But but I sort of go back to to sort of a, a Buddhist mentality on this aspect where when, when we look at the our universe or what we perceive as reality, it's all, it's all energy. Um, and everything is constantly vibrating, moving, and we're constantly getting signals bombarded from us, whether that's through, through physical apparatus, apparatuses, as I mentioned, sort of as, as your media, or we're getting knowledge that's coming through and sort of hitting our subconscious or hitting parts of us that, that we're not aware of. And, and I sort of, pose it as a question of like, if you're going out to eat somewhere and you're trying to decide of where you're going, it's trying to think of it from, from an idea of where, of, of how that idea to get, go to that place got into your head to begin with. And, and it sort of makes me harken, harken back to the, to the Greeks with the, with the goddesses of fate, where they're sort of pulling at the strings of everything. And it sort of makes me wonder if from a, cosmic level if if there isn't somebody that that is that isn't out there that's sort of pulling our strings and nudging us in certain directions which again if that is the case then then we truly don't have have choice we were just perceiving it as a choice because that's sort of what we what we decided to do but but for me it's it's an interesting concept because because as i mentioned i i I would love to say that that we have choice, that, that that we are free to choose whatever we want. But as you mentioned, we have these roadblocks, things come up, we can't get access to the information or whatever the case may be. And and, and I sort of always go back to where where we may not be truly in control as much as as we think we believe. And that's sort of sort of where I, I sort of view view our choice at where, where I think from a from a physical level, we have very, very little choice in a lot of the things that, that we can and can't do. But I think also when we look like as, as I mentioned, mentioned the, the metaphysical aspect of everything, I think that's sort of where we get more of that freedom to to make our choices. I would agree. Yeah, I think that, you know, and not to confront your worldview against mine, but I, I probably 
we probably agree on more things than we disagree anyways, but I tend to think that, you know, these roadblocks and these evil forces, whoever they may be, as evil as they may take it, you know, that's sort of there to challenge us all who are not, you know, evil or doing anything, participating in that realm of things, to challenge us to act goodwill into the world. And through that, we, you know, evolve towards this higher power that created us. You know, it's kind of a an interesting dilemma, the whole, you know, chicken before the egg or creator type ritual, like not ritual, but question of, of like what, you know, how could a more complex being create simple beings, right? Wouldn't it be that a simple being, you know, evolved into a more complex being? No, I think it's the opposite. You know, there's this all omnipotent, powerful full being that yeah maybe limits our choices depending on what plane we're in but i think based on our choices in some way maybe we can evolve out of this plane and have a higher higher set of abilities to use i don't know maybe that's what the angels are and all these other metaphysical beings what where do you go with with these sorts of experiences have you had any paranormal experiences do you plan on looking into that is that something you want to get into so that is something that i've actually i have had my own experiences with and i'm actually glad you brought that up and so when i first started getting down this rabbit hole and sort of looking at reality from a different terms like i got really big into into buddhism um especially from the meditative state um, and i even got a little bit into hinduism a little bit and and i sort of view for me personally I look more at like Eastern religions. I think they're more of a philosophy than any, but I know they're all about like enlightenment, reaching a different level of consciousness. And, and I know for myself, I've had some really interesting experiences when I used to be really heavily involved with it to the point where my girlfriend at the time didn't want me to do it anymore because of, because I was becoming, I'm, I wouldn't say you extremely devoted where I was sitting there meditating, going off into the woods and meditating for, for days on end, but it was just something where I would sit down half an hour at a time. I got really big into biofeedback with out-of-body experiences, but I know like, like I think early on for myself that I remember growing up and even here recently, like I've had really... I, I'm going to say bad deja vu, but, but I've had like a lot of experiences where with deja vu, where I'll sitting, sit, be sitting there doing something. And I'm like, I feel like I've lived this or been here already. I know I've had dreams of, of stuff that happened in the future that did happen. And it goes back to even something earlier this year where I had no idea, but my grandmother had passed away and my mom had called me and told me what was going on. And I remember like, after I got off the phone with my mom, that I was like, I had a dream about this like a month ago. I thought like my dream got broken up, but, but everything about it, about how she was talking her tone, the way that she was saying it was the exact same when she called me. And I thought nothing of it. I just thought it was a dream until it happened. But I know I've had weird experiences like that. I know when I was meditating, I think the earliest meditation experience that I had, I was maybe 
13 or no, I'll take it back. 16. And I decided to look into meditation just because I had some things that were going on in my life. And I started to look into more of like angels as far as like who to pray to. And I remember like I came across the angel Metatron, who supposedly for all intents and purposes, God's a bookkeeper who knows everything. And I remember I had a really weird experience with that where like I meditated, like I, I called out to this angel and like I ended up walking into like this room, very white, bright room. We talked and then afterwards, like I, I had a candle in front of me because I, I didn't know like the proper meditation. And like when I blew out the candle, like I could have swore that that when the smoke was billowing up, that I saw a face with like a wing behind it. Now, obviously, you can always find patterns within stuff, but I just thought it was really, really interesting when that happened. I was like, that eh, maybe this maybe that really did happen. And then when I got big into the Buddhist um, techniques or, or the way that that Buddhism works when it comes to meditation, I'm looking more towards the inside and, and basically looking from it more from an emotion and a feeling standpoint. I got some really interesting experiences with that where I, for some things, I still can't figure out what they meant, but I, but I remember like I was, I did meditative states where I was trying to question how humanity was created. I did one where trying to figure out how, how the world was going to end. Granted that that one's a little, little darker, but, but I did one with that. I did some where, where I would just meditate and and just go wherever it went. And it was always one of those things that, that for me, I sort of felt when I came out of it, I felt very re refreshed, almost like a weight had lifted off. And, and I remember like there, there was a few times that I would do it. And, and like you, the way that you would feel like you could almost feel the energy around you to a to a certain extent and, and i know there's a few times like when i would come out of these and i asked one of my teachers about it because i would almost see what would what you would think would be dust but but not so much as like dust like light hitting off of dust but but it literally looked I, i'm going to call it like the matrix the best way to put it where it literally looked not necessarily like a code but it looked like I could see the energy of the objects around me. I asked my teacher, go ahead. I would say an aura to a certain extent. It's very hard to describe it now, now that I'm thinking about it, to be honest with you. But, but he said like in those situations, like that sort of when you reach sort of these higher levels of, of enlightenment is that you can start seen some of those things and i know with like buddhism like buddhists from the time of their conception like that's all they ever thought that the universe was 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 just pure energy and nobody believed them until the early 1900s when stuff got under a microscope and we sort of realized that but i know i dabbled with that i've dabbled with out-of-body experiences as well with trying to induce. And to this point, I think I've only actually maybe had one true out-of-body experience and that is it. But it's something that that's that has sparked me for a while with those types of things, getting into that, that metaphysical higher consciousness aspect.
That's awesome. I wonder, you know, about that future meditation you did and the results of which, and maybe also if you have any advice for would-be meditators listening, including myself. Yeah, so as far as the end of the world, the, the two things that come to mind with that was, one was a number, it was uh, 7230, which I still can't fathom what it meant. Like I've tried to look in like online to see if it ever, I haven't done, looked at it in a while, but at the time to see if like, if it ever correlated with anything and I, I couldn't find anything with it. So I'm still sort of searching for that one. Hopefully one day I'll figure out the meaning to that. We'll get slick dissident on the case. Slick, go back, hear that number. What was the number again? 7230. Slick might have something to say. Join the Telegram chat to see what Slick has to say. Shout out to our synchro mystic friend, Slick Dissident. He's always got some number, Gematria code connecting that he's doing in our Telegram chat. But yeah, that's interesting. It's it's definitely become uh, a theme on the show, Gematria. We've talked about it in a couple different interviews. And I myself, I was just talking about it with guests last night. You know, Kent Woods and I were talking about how you can read a little too far into some of that stuff. So, you know, I wonder where that'll go because when it does hit, it hits, you know, like yeah. some of it is a little out there, but the, the connections that some researchers make with the numbers and the gematria are definitely, you know, they make you really question the nature of reality. And, and when you talk to people who are working in advanced sciences of mathematics and biology and fractals and all this stuff, they'll tell you that, you know, numbers are basically everywhere in our reality, you know, in a sort of philosophical way, but also in a very real sense. Yeah. So that was one thing that I came across. And then the other thing was, I remember within this meditation where like I was sitting in a city somewhere, I, I, I don't know what specific city it was. All I know was sort of like in a downtown setting because there was tall buildings. I just remember looking up and and seeing what looked like not necessarily planes flying by, but but if you think of like when we would drop like when people drop supplies into into the middle of nowhere, having those big giant pallets with with the um, parachutes, that was sort of what I saw, and then it just sort of went away. And, but I remember like I was talking to my teacher about it and he was like, I, I have no idea what to make of either one of those, but, but it was just, I think it was more so I was potentially seeing the, the end of it or not the end, but the potentially the start of, of what was happening. And granted, I, nothing has happened like that, that I'm aware of. So, so that's a good there. If, if these visions are to be true like they are but to go on to your point as far as the meditative standpoint and one of the things and this is a concept or a technique that can't remember the guy's first name his name has been but he wrote a a book about buddhism and about how to achieve enlightenment and, and he was using a lot of, of the buddhist techniques or referring to, to his techniques where it's more so it's deep diving into yourself and it's sort of forgetting about the external and looking internal and sort of looking at at your feelings looking at your thoughts and not really sort of dwelling on one as as a 
as a particular thing to dive into. It's just sort of looking at it. And then when it goes, it goes, it's not hanging on to it. It's, I know the teacher who got me into it and the way that he explained it is sort of thinking or, or, or picturing yourself on a hill somewhere and sort of just looking up at the sky and looking at the clouds and just sort of realizing that every cloud that you're seeing and as it passes by, it is, it's just a thought or a feeling. And as that cloud dissipates or goes away, you let it go. And then the next cloud comes on. And that was one of the things that, that I know for me really helped get into these altered states of consciousness is sort of looking inward at those things. Right. Wow. Yeah, that kind of reminds me of uh, a book that I read a while back, Undoing Yourself by Dr. Chris Hyatt. And it's funny, I think I talked about that on a past episode and someone who works with a predecessor of his reached out and, and we're going to have him on the show. But I think there's something to that, man. And you definitely are very impressive, the amount of knowledge you have. And I definitely think that meditation clearly in your case and in many others shows to be a, a tool for you know access to these higher realms of of information almost like a, an akashic record you're like opening up the availability in your mind to receive this information would you agree with that feeling did you experience that after having these uh, series of meditations I definitely would to a certain extent. I, I wouldn't liken it to say like what Nikola Tesla, the type of ability with knowing everything, but but it definitely felt to a certain extent where where I learned more about the universe and, and felt more aligned and in tune with it. I, I definitely believe that that the people that that hour I have talked about this, like in particular Tesla, I don't think he's actually said in all of certain terms of, of where he got the information, but but I do believe in the Akashic rec records, and I think that that in order to to gain that information, it does come from altered states of consciousness, whether that's through meditation, through psychedelics. But but I know for me, like I walked away feeling very at peace, very humble, and almost like the, the, the universe was trying to give me information that maybe I didn't know what it meant at that point in time, but somewhere down the road that it would be useful or vital. Right. Those synchromystic clues, man. That's... That's what I'm talking about. Practices like meditation and even just, you know, getting out, breathing some fresh air and being in nature seem to connect us with this, you know, other world, whether it be, you know, to the degree that Tesla received or to your degree, I think, you know, definitely humble because I'm impressed, brother. I got to check out your podcast. You know, I'm not afraid to admit I have not listened. I'm very busy. And I, that's no excuse. So we definitely have to reconvene at a later date and, uh, and talk again. But before we go, you know, we don't really cover too many recent events on the show very often, but this one has far reaching implications and you covered it in an episode. What are your thoughts on the Maxwell case and everything that transpired there? 
So for me, it's it's something that I, it definitely is very, very, very far reaching. Obviously, if you follow everything back to the Jeffrey Epstein and, and the things, if, if we are to believe um, everything that, that, that was said about a Jeffrey Epstein with the people who we had in his black book, which I don't think we'll ever find out. It's, I think the Maxwell case was sort of used as a way to try to enclosure to that, to try to keep people to stop pushing into it. But I also think at the same time, and it really was just a, a sham of a case because I don't think we're ever truly going to get the the justice or the answers that, that we know, or not, not, not necessarily that we know, but we want, because obviously we want to know who was on the flight logs, where, how far does this reach? And, and obviously uh, I would lean towards it's far reaching. It's, it's worldwide. It's not just something that that centralized just here to the U S but, but I, but when we look at the the coverage, there was no coverage coming out of it. I believe there was like maybe a couple of people who were like sending out updates through Twitter. And as far as I was aware of last time that I that I looked into it, the Twitter account that that was like giving updates got got nuked off of Twitter. Uh, I think after like the second or third day, but it was just all very hush hush. Like this, like the trial sort of started during the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. So obviously you sort of had that going on in the forefront while this was sort of being ha- happening around in the background. And, and it wasn't a long case. Granted, she did get convicted, I think out of the five or six, the five out of the six counts that they put up against her. But but it's definitely something where where she may end up like Epstein, which if we do know that here shortly, um, if she goes way of that, we'll know that, that there was something more more sinister going on with it. And the thing that I'm interested in is I know that she was just, the judge granted her to get her COVID booster shot, which will be interesting uh, to see what happens after she gets it. But it's, a, it's one of those things where where I know for me, because I've listened to people talk about this topic and everybody that sort of has gone down that rabbit hole, it almost seems like they, they lose a piece of them or lose a piece of their soul to a certain extent looking at, at the, I'm trying to think at the atrociousness of it. And, and I think it's something where basically it was just a spectacle. It had to be done. And and knowing that the few things that came out about it with how some of the, I think it was both the prosecutor and the judge have direct ties to, to both the, both the Biden and then obviously to the Obama administration is, is a little, little worrying to a certain extent. Also the information that some of the information that came out about it as well was that the evidence that was introduced in court had already had FBI tags on it that dated back, I think, to the first go around back in the early 2000s when Epstein got charged down in Florida, I think, in around 2010. It just seems like everything for that was just, it was a big giant cover up. Only a couple of witnesses got brought to the stand, but but nobody as far as the, if you want to call them the, the purchasers, none of them got exposed. And and I, and, and I don't think we ever will, just because I think the people that, that are on that list will make sure that 
that they don't get out there for it because it is, like I mentioned, I think it is very global spending. And again, I think if the people knew who are involved with this, it would just be another one of those potentials where the system could collapse. But then again, she could be singing a very different tune here in a month and we could be having people being uh, rounded up and, and going to trial over some of these things. I know one of the latest things that I've heard about is I guess Prince Andrew, who obviously is well known for for being friends with Epstein and going down to his island multiple occasions, I guess is potentially facing some some legal battles here in the U.S. with one of the accusers to the point where the royal family, from what it looks like, at least from from an optic standpoint, has basically disowned him for that. But 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 it's it's a rabbit hole that that can go down a lot of different paths. But in the end, I don't think we'll ever get the answers that that were needed out of that case. Right, right, yeah, and I, as you said, it definitely connects us to a lot of people who don't want their names revealed. And there's a lot of theories that I've heard, and some of them I subscribe to that say, you know, these folks were involved in blackmailing a lot of people on that list. So naturally, nobody wants this to get out because it's the nature of blackmail. Uh, and that's how they have this sort of leverage over the people who have compromised themselves, which, you know, in this modern age of basically hedonism, sadly, the only thing you can blackmail someone for is that atrocious crime of, you know, abusing children and whatnot. You know, it used to be, you know, homophobia that did that and which, you know, has its own implications which are equally upsetting but maybe not as criminal where you know people in maybe let's say 1940s and 50s politics would have been blackmailed to the same degree for something like that so yeah it's definitely uh concerning and i have hope that it's going to wake a lot of people up but like you said they obviously put her in that courtroom specifically with that judge and with those other people, those other clowns in the courtroom so that, you know, the certain people like Mr. Honorable President Biden would be protected. But I think it goes all the way up to him as well. I mean, you see those creepy videos of him on the internet that have been circulating well into his campaign. It's not, you know, or into his presidency. It, it's definitely, you know, not this kind of deep fake technology as much as it might be a product of the whole anti, you know, establishment, but also the kind of Q fringe conservative type stuff, which I'm not going to say that I wasn't enthusiastic about it, but I definitely didn't participate and wasn't really behind a lot of that sort of politics. I, I try to be as anti-establishment as possible but yeah it's it's pretty clear that biden is a creep and obviously i don't think that's just a, a politics thing it's not a matter of which party they're in it's a matter of you know these folks went to the right school these folks went to the right you know college and then they had you know, the right parents and all the other things that set them up into this elite establishment and a lot of those elites 
are in secret societies, you know, debatably, allegedly, you know, some of them Bohemian Grove, some of them Freemasonic, you know, what have you. But it's a weaving web that, you know, entangles many different seemingly separate entities. But this has been very fun picking your brain, Josh. I appreciate all the knowledge you shared with me and everyone listening. I know I was just kind of asking the questions here, so maybe we'll have you have me on the Illusionary Tales of Reality podcast in a you know a couple episodes or so, or you can put this out on your podcast and give people maybe a good synopsis of, of what you talked about thus far when they check out your show. Yeah, I think those would be great. Great, great things to do. I would definitely appreciate that having you on and then also sending this my way and posting it up on there as well. Cool. And I definitely appreciate you having me on uh, too. Yeah. Awesome, brother. Pleasure meeting you and uh, pleasure learning a little bit about where we agree, uh, a little bit of disagreement. Not really. I don't think we disagree really on anything. I think there was one thing that you said that I th- I felt like I needed to challenge you on, but at the end of the day, we, we seem to be in agreement as most people are on the My Family Think Some Crazy podcast here so far. And I got to ask you, does your family think you're crazy? I would say yes, with the exception of my brother. <laughs> right on. So your brother kind of sounds like from what you said earlier, helped you wake up a little bit. So your brother, is he further ahead? Maybe, you know sending you seeds of of information still to this day what's going on with him every now and then it's more so because he didn't go down the full rabbit hole that i went down but but he's always talking to me or asking me hey what do you think about this what do you think about that and i sort of help give him my perspective on everything but i I would definitely say he i he doesn't go as deep as i do I'll, i'll leave it at that all right right on well shout out to him maybe he'll listen to this one day if he does want to go deep but thank you to everyone listening whether you find this on the my family thinks some crazy podcast or illusionary tales of reality and have a great moment wherever you are in the now Tates the way you go You're getting to be as true in the mouth up there you're wrong mac more together in my life. You know what makes me laugh? Since five o'clock this afternoon, you've been getting shot at, stabbed at, yelled at. You broke enough local ordinances to put yourself on ice for a hundred years. And how many dead people so far? Just that one dude. Nobody got his limit. I know the rationale. Self-defense, God and country, another assignment in national interest. Well, this one does have a little fringe benefit. Damn it, Mike. You're so busy doing their dirty work, you can't tell who the bad guys really are. Why? I'm a bad guy. Anybody that tries to hurt me. They're all trying to hurt you, Mike. All the goddamn power systems. All the wheels and deals at the top of their gin and fizzes. They need guys like you to do their bloodletting. While they're busy making speeches about freedom and progress. They're all full of bullshit. There's not one power system that really cares about a civilian. Hey, that's enough. Will you take a little air?
Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for sticking around here. My family thinks some crazy podcast extended outro. We got a lot going on. Welcome to February. It is still January when this is being recorded, but I'll try to keep it fresh. Stuff that isn't so time sensitive. I want to give a huge shout out to our sponsors from January. They no longer are sponsoring the show in the same way, but our friend Kevin has kindly sponsored us in other ways. So shout out to him. He's really great dude and a kind supporter of the show but i am proud to announce we have some new developments in that realm for the extended outro we will be having a new sponsor for the month of february uh, so stay tuned for that i'm going to try to keep this segment of the show fun and interesting and not just an ad read unfortunately my pronunciation isn't as bad as sam's so that's usually what makes the ads on tinfoil worth listening to just listening to him pronounce lozenges is always fun but sam i love you you're the man keep it up anyways couldn't do it without you sam here we are in the extended outro and we have like i said some really awesome supporters that are keeping this train on the tracks kevin is certainly uh, a big help. Not only has he helped me out with hooking us up with those lovely sponsors, but <clears throat> he also was kind enough to help me convert my Ray tokens into Ethereum and then Ethereum into cash. So that is awesome. Help me out big time. And speaking of Ray tokens, if you don't know what those are, I get them when you watch our content on Rockfin. I don't know the exact metrics of how it works, but I guess your monthly fee gets turned into this crypto and then they pay me in this crypto. I don't ask me how it makes sense. It just does. People are using it. I listen to Cash Daddies for my crypto information just because I'm pretty much full blown, a full blown moron when it comes to the financial world. So, Anyways, here we are in the extended outro, trying to think of what to share. Oh, so I'm a big underground rap fan. This has been said on the show. This has been talked about. I'm not sure how much of you are familiar with this particular song. It's called Sam Peckinpah by R.A. The Rugged Man and Vinnie Paz and I always liked that song and it always stood out and for some reason I just thought that that was like the name of some gangster or something like I never really thought about who they were referring by naming the song Sam Peckinpah well I come to find out that that's a director I, I have 2B TV it's a free like internet type thing it's basically Netflix but free the only catch is you have to watch these ads that are <laughs> placed in you know really bad moments at least in the movies i've watched but tubi.tv you can go on tubi.tv and i saw a movie in the comedy section called convoy and i just thought oh that's fun convoy my friends used to play american truck sim and they would joke about being in a convoy i used to be a delivery guy so i kind of felt like i lived that life in a, in a small sort of way and 
I hope, I'm sure, that there are some long-haul truckers that listen to the show. Shout out to all you guys. I know a bunch of uh, bunch of you listen to Tony's show, Hammer Lane Legends and The Confessionals, which are both shows that are a part of Alt Media United, the podcast cooperative I founded. And, you know, either way, if you listen to the show in a big rig, shout out to you. We appreciate you. Shout out to all the truckers up in Canada. That's the other reason why I wanted to watch this movie, because there's this whole talk about convoy, convoy, right? There's a convoy in Canada. They're going up to Thunder Bay. And you know what? This actually, this is a great moment to to read something that Graham Dunlop, he was a guest on the show twice. He's uh, the host of the Grimerica show alongside of a, a recent guest, Darren Grimes. He's also been on the show twice. The Grimerica Show, fantastic podcast. It's a podcast that inspired me to do this podcast. Quite honestly, it was a really big part of my inspiration for starting this. But anyways, Graham posted this really nice message in the chat. And it's from a trucker up there in that convoy in Canada. It says, a letter from a trucker in our convoy in Canada. Hello everyone, we made it to Thunder Bay today. I have a hard time finding words to express the momentum on this convoy. The convoy is a hundred kilometers long and growing all the time. The support people have is overwhelming. Coming into Winnipeg yesterday was pretty emotional. The comm radios went pretty quiet because no one could find words to express what we felt. There was people packed on the streets, shoulders, Cars parked and people for miles and miles on the ring road around the city. The horns never stopped honking. On the four lane going out of Winnipeg, we thought it was hammered down time, but ended up driving 5 to 20 kilometers an hour for hours and hours. People had campfires going in the ditches, fireworks, a sprayer with booms out with big thank yous signs and crane trucks with the booms up with the signs lights flashing and flags the shoulders of the four lanes packed with people in cars overpasses packed with people tons of family little kids all bundled up everyone was jumping dancing waving signs flags and flashing lights all in 30 below celsius this is uh, this is written by a canadian person hence the kilometers and all that I'm just trying to translate anyways Seeing how happy kids are, their smiles makes you a little emotional at times. This is how Canada is supposed to be. This morning, going into Ontario, the support is amazing. The laneways, crossroads, little towns, same things happening. Constantly speeding up and slowing for groups of people. I feel like I'm cheating with adaptive crews. When we came to Thunder Bay, they had a big area plowed off. Tents put up, big fires, and an insane amount of food. They brought pallets of windshield washer fluid for everyone. Very humbling how kind everyone is. This is what freedom feels like. I felt normal for once, not alone like the last two years. Thanks for all the support. It is much appreciated. Well, hitting the hay. Cheers. Thanks. So that was a message that Graham posted in the telegram for the union of the unwanted folks who've been on the show. And wow, I mean, I just teared up a little bit while reading it. I mean, it hit me two days ago when he posted it, but it's just, my heart goes out to everyone up there, Canada and what you're doing. 
with that convoy. That's the ripple effect, man. That's the hundredth monkey effect. So it, it's even funny that it says hundred kilometers of truckers. I mean, wow. That's really inspiring. And I'm glad that, you know, this type of thing is happening and we hope everyone's safe up there and we hope everyone everyone realizes now with this kind of thing what's what's really going on in the world. You know, if you don't see it by now, <laughs> wake up. Right? So I don't know. I don't have much else to say other than maybe F Trudeau and uh, keep on trucking, boys. I'm really glad to see that. Anyways, here we are in the now. And uh, I was talking about Sam Peckinpah. <laughs> so that that's why I wanted to watch Convoy. And it was really, it wasn't that it was like a slow movie or anything like that. For whatever reason, we just didn't keep watching it although i'm gonna revisit it on my own <laughs> but surprisingly tara was more interested in watching this other movie that he directed and i was as well it's called the killer elite and it's a fantastic movie with a really interesting plot and what i realized is there it was a very specific reason why vinnie paz was referencing sam peck and pa and it's because this guy is exposing some major truths about the intelligence agency agencies through this film and through what it seems like other films as well. The Killer Elite was the first one we watched. And then the second one we watched is called The Osterman Weekend. And I mean, that movie is equally mind-blowing. So... I'm not going to give too much of a synopsis on both of the movies because they're just so good that I'm just going to put the links in the description so you guys could just go watch it. It's on Tubi TV and it's free. But what I am going to do is I'm going to rewatch them and I'm going to do a sort of breakdown a la Michael Wan or Isaac Weishaupt or Jay Dyer and put it on the Patreon and see if it's worth the shit. I don't know. Maybe you guys like it. Maybe not. If people on the Patreon like it, maybe we'll put it on the YouTube but I think they're interesting movies and I want to do some back research on the movies themselves, maybe even Sam Peckinpah and, and put something interesting together because it's definitely worth your time to check these movies out if you liked our conversation with Richard Spence or any conversation in that vein where we talked about espionage and government corruption. The first movie, Killer Elite, has to do with uh, these two agents that work for a sort of a corporate espionage company. You know, one of these like front groups that the CIA works through. And there's just, you know, a whole story of betrayal and it's a really cool moral. And uh, actually, as a matter of fact, I took some clips out of that movie and used them for the interlude of this show. I thought they kind of fit with the theme of today's show and who knows maybe josh would agree i'm excited to talk to josh again definitely an impressive guy he's got a lot to say very smart gentleman and his show illusory illusory tales of reality right is that it fuck illusionary tales of reality not illusory <laughs> illusionary tales of reality is like I said in the interview, really well done. I'm, I was impressed and I'm excited to do another show with this guy. But 
if you like this kind of stuff, definitely check out the movies. The description will have the links. And like I said, we're going to do a breakdown of the Killer Elite and the Osterman Weekend on the Patreon. The Osterman Weekend was a very interesting movie. Definitely didn't see a lot of the plot twists coming. And, you know, I had to even go back and read the plot on Wikipedia just to get a better idea of what I just saw. And then I kind of read through it and realized that the Wikipedia plot didn't even have the whole plot correct. I mean, they missed stuff and kind of glossed over certain really important parts of the plot, or at least what I thought was important. So yeah, I think if anything, I could give a, a nice commentary and critique on these two movies once I maybe rewatch them or even watch some more Sam Peckinpah films. Anyways, just hanging out here in the bunker, in the studio. We got a lot of snow this weekend, so so I'm just hunkering down. Want to give a big shout out to everyone on Telegram, everyone in the uh, tinfoil only conspiracies Telegram, everyone in the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy Telegram, really doing something cool over there on Telegram. Recently, I heard the Higher Side Chats Discord got taken down. I mean, if you're wondering why we don't have a Discord, that's why. Because what's the point? I mean, Greg's show pushes boundaries, sure, but he does a great job of, I don't want to say branding the show, but that's kind of what I'm getting at here. His show isn't like on the nose. like It's not like Red Pill Conspiracy Hour radio or something like that, where it's like, well, yeah, that's a no brainer. So when you see shows like Greg's where, you know, he has a variety of topics, he's not generally talking about political things, even though he has done some real edgy episodes. I mean, some of the edgiest episodes from Sandy Hook to the vaccines to, I mean, the guy pushes the, the boundaries. I'm not saying he doesn't, but it's just like, you could tell that, you know, he he does a really great job of making that content sort of where it's approachable to people who might not be conspiracy oriented already. So to me, that says that there's either some trolls that are in the discords that are trying to like controlled opposition, this shit and like go in there and sabotage things, or they're just getting really good at figuring out, what's what and i'm not concerned because we're just not even going to waste our time on discord i don't like the name discord means you know it's a not a good thing let's look up the definition of the word discord right i mean oh look at that that's synchronicity just when i'm talking about that letter that i was just talking about before somebody liked that post in our telegram that's an interesting synchronicity because this is not live uh, discord the definition a disagreement between people i mean come on we don't we got enough of that with the trolls so join us on telegram join us on instagram that's really all i wanted to say there also shout out to adam and chud over there at into the apocalypse because i saw that dope ass logo that bags drew for adam and i said you know what we already have a killer logo but i could ask this dude bags to draw a dope ass t-shirt for us and uh and he was 
very kind enough to do that. Anyways, Bags Draws created an amazing logo for the show and it's on our mugs it's on t-shirts it's on sweatshirts it's on long sleeve shirts i mean it's on all kinds of stuff uh, it's not just like made to order crap i actually edited the designs and made sure they look we actually have ordered some you know samples so i'll be letting you guys know how good the quality is real soon shout out to donut he bought one of our earlier designs on the teespring i think that one's going to be a limited edition only for donut so shout out to you brother and and that's about it folks i mean we got a teespring it's popping off if you buy a shirt you really be supporting the show big time big time big time big time and that's about it folks watch the killer elite watch the osterman weekend by sam peckinpah and stay tuned on the patreon for that breakdown check out sam hyde he's hilarious check out i don't know whatever you're drawn to wherever you are in the now oh and go to a used bookstore great love it enjoy the moment you know the rest peace <laughs>